You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Connection with the sermon text this morning, which will come from Mark chapter 8. I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that all those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Our text this morning is Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we have before us this morning a heavy passage. A heavy passage. This is a passage with a lot of weight. And I must say, in delivering the sermon, I'm feeling that weight. You know that feeling you have when you have something really important to say to someone? You're thinking about it and thinking about it, and you're afraid that when you open your mouth to actually speak about it, your words are going to get all muddled up and confused. And the point that you were so intent on making is going to somehow get lost in translation. Sort of the way I'm feeling this morning. 
Let's pray that that doesn't happen. Because the weight of this text is right there for us, and it particularly in two areas. In the first area that we feel the weight is where this text is placed in the Gospel of Mark. Last week, we considered the verses before in which the Lord Jesus Christ lays out his mission, lays out essentially his gospel. This is what he has come to the earth to do. We notice that this is the hinge upon which the whole gospel of Mark turns. After this, everything that Jesus says there begins to come true. And the very purpose for which he came to this earth unfolds before our eyes. He came to this earth to suffer, to be rejected, to die, and to rise again. And then now in our text, immediately following those words, that that central statement of the gospel, immediately following comes the calling to all who will go after him. Last week was, this is what you must believe. And this week it's, believing this, this is what you must do. Hence, one part of the weight of this text. But there is another aspect which makes this text extremely important for us to hear. And that is because this text goes directly against the culture in which we live. It speaks directly against that which our culture promotes and glorifies. Jesus Christ tells us to deny ourselves, to put our lives in his hands, and to give up our hopes and dreams and goals for ourselves. Our culture every single day is telling us that the most important thing we could do is fulfill our own hopes and dreams and goals. That the most important thing in the world is that you would be happy and content. That's the highest goal and the highest purpose. And our culture is unashamed in stating that and glorying in that. What Jesus says in our text this morning is exactly the opposite. It is completely at odds with our culture. You're not called to gain your life. You're called to lose it. That's our theme this morning. That's what we'll consider as we look at this text this morning. You must lose your life. That's what Jesus calls us to. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ calls the whole world to. You must lose your life. You must lose your life to be a follower of Jesus. We'll see. You must lose your life to save your life. And you must lose your life to not be ashamed yourself and to not bring shame to the Lord Jesus Christ before the glory of the Father in heaven. So you must lose your life to be a follower of Jesus. The Lord Jesus explains at the very beginning of our text, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me in the gospel 
will save it. If you want to be one of his followers, you have to lose your life. It's a radical and an uncompromising call that he gives here. Now, let's just think about this call for a moment. In a few weeks, we are going to be hosting the Christianity Explored initiative in which you'll have the opportunity to bring your unchurched, unbelieving friends to come to a series of Friday night dinners, social times, and a time of learning about the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, and what he calls his followers to. At the end of that course, toward the end of it, you're going to be considering these words. Now, think about that for a moment. Here's someone who you care about. You've taken an interest in their lives. And, and you know that, that the Lord Jesus Christ holds out salvation. And you want them to know Him. Because you know that that's what they need. And it's out of love that motivates you to bring them to an event like this and to share the gospel with them. Think about how these words are going to sound to them. Here's Jesus Christ. Here's what he's done. Come to him and thereafter die. Give up the dreams and the goals and the hopes that you had. Give up those things which you hold most dearly to your heart now. Give them up. You have to. If you want to follow Jesus Christ, that's what you must do. Is that really the message that you're going to want to give that other person? Shouldn't you sort of leave that aside? Introduce that to them maybe a year or two down the road? Maybe we ought to change things. This call seems too radical. Why don't we tell them that in coming to Jesus Christ, all their hopes and dreams will be fulfilled. He'll make them richer, more prosperous, and more successful. Isn't the Lord Jesus asking too much as he addresses the crowd along with the disciples in our text this morning? Well, the fact is, we cannot change the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. In serving him, we must take his words at face value. And this is precisely what Jesus calls anyone who will be his follower too. It could not be more clear. You must lose your life. He says it in three parts. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. First of all, he says, you must deny yourself. Now, notice, if you have your Bible open in front of you, I would like you to notice what he says there. If anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself. He doesn't say, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself chocolate or luxuries or fun. He must deny himself hockey or sports or yelling at people every once in a while. There's there's nothing after himself or herself. You must deny yourself. It won't do to deny yourself wealth or social success or physical health. It's not like you can say, I will I'll stop taking those things for myself in order to serve Jesus Christ. No, that's not radical enough, is what Jesus says. 
That seems really appealing to say, in order to serve Jesus Christ, I'm going to cast off all wealth or I'm going to cast off social success or or my physical health. I'm going to to put that aside in order to serve Jesus Christ. But Jesus says that's not enough. He doesn't call you to that. He calls you to deny yourself everything. He doesn't mean that you need to hate yourself or that you have to reject yourself. He does mean that you need to cease holding yourself as the center of your universe and the center of your life. You need to stop having yourself as the ultimate goal of everything that you do in life. And as I mentioned, this is greatly at odds with our culture. Our culture is one that's unashamed about being selfish, self-centered, self-focused, and self-fulfilling. That's the message that we hear constantly. For example, since 1927, Time Magazine has been selecting a person of the year. Well, as a sign of the times, their person of the year in 2006 was, do you know, you. It was you. Apparently, we had become so focused on ourselves and so successful at at being selfish and at fulfilling ourselves that we all together were deemed worthy of the honor of being person of the year. Arlie Hotschild, a well-known American sociologist, has examined uh, North American culture and described it as a self-improvement-oriented culture. That's what we're all about. Self-improvement. Everything is life in life is focused at me and making me better. It's on full display in our culture. If you have an ear for marketing, if you have an ear for philosophy, if you are listening to politics and what politicians are telling you, basically, if you're hearing any message in our culture... This is the message that you're hearing. A politician will come and say, my job is to make your life better. I'll give you more. That's what I will do. A marketer will say, this is what you need. I have what you need. This will make your life better. And therefore, you should take this because making your life better is what it's all about. It's on full display in our culture. And what's on full display in our culture was simply masked in cultures before ours. You can think, for example, of Martin Luther. He lived, he began really the Great Reformation, and he lived in a time in which people would take these vows of poverty and and vows of isolation. Monks would go into the hills and would spend their, their lives alone or with another group of monks, thinking that they were doing this out of love for God. But Martin Luther exposed the lie to this life and said, in doing this, You're being completely selfish. You're removing yourself from everyone around you. You're you're of no good to your brother or your sister. And you're thinking that you're serving God by following a bunch of laws and then feeling good about yourself when you fulfill them. He exposed the lie in that culture. And the Apostle Paul also saw within the so-called piety of the Judaizers in Israel a self-focused legalism that appealed to their self-concern rather than their love for God and neighbor. 
And this too is not surprising. That what's obvious in our culture has been masked in other cultures. That really it has existed in all human cultures is not surprising. Was Adam's sin. That first sin. Not a sin of self-improvement and self-fulfillment. When Satan said to him, eat from tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you will become like God. In that moment that Adam and Eve sinned, they became self-focused, focused on their own improvement and fulfillment. And so the first step in following Jesus is in fact to reject this impulse. Do not embrace it. Willfully and conscientiously deny it. You must deny yourself as the end and the goal and the purpose of your existence. It's the first thing that Jesus calls his followers to. Second, it means take up your cross. What does that mean? Well, to take up your cross means to carry the wooden cross piece like those criminals who were going to the cross to be crucified. They would carry the cross piece on their back just like the Lord Jesus Christ did on their way to the site of the crucifixion. Now, we need to remember that when Jesus says these words, he has not yet died by crucifixion. In fact, he hasn't told his disciples that that's even what's going to happen to him. This has not yet become a symbol of salvation. There's nothing glorious about the cross. There's everything shameful and humiliating about it. So this was a symbol of a painful, agonizing, humiliating, shameful death. So the very first reference for this is death. The Lord Jesus is saying you must deny yourself and go to your death. It means death, but it means everything underneath. It means a willing and a willful, conscientious effort to give your life over to God. and To put yourself to death in the process. Now, some have said that you need to be, that this means you need to be willing to die. Take up your cross means you need to be willing to die. That, that if called upon, you would give your life for the Lord. But it doesn't really fit. The Lord Jesus doesn't tell us to carry around an inclination of the heart or to prepare ourselves for something. He tells us to get down to business and do something. Take up your cross and follow him. That is, begin already now that slow and painful march to death. He calls us to real and tangible action. On the other hand, it doesn't mean necessarily that the Lord Jesus is calling us to martyrdom and, of course, much less to suicide. Really, that might be too easy. To simply give up your life might be too easy. What's more difficult is to spend every day and every waking moment in the giving up of your life for the Lord. When the march will be over, we don't know. What the Lord Jesus calls us to is to begin that slow and painful process of giving up our life, our hopes and dreams and goals. 
And third, it means to follow Jesus. He says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And notice that he's already said that. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny, take up and follow. So he really repeats it. It's redundant. Why is that? Well, because there there may be something appealing to us. We say, I, I want to live the martyr's life. Or, I want to live the aesthetic life. Or, denying myself and, and, and living this painful life. That's okay, I can do that. But then you, you go off and you do that in service of, of some other philosophy. You do that in service of a false religion. Or another answer. But the Lord Jesus doesn't call us simply to that, but He calls us to follow Him. The fact that Jesus mentions it again here, that we must follow Him, means that it's important that we don't miss the point. In fact, it's only in this third part that everything comes together. He's not calling us to mere denying ourselves or simply to martyrdom. He's calling us to follow Him as the goal of all of those things. You're not giving up your life simply for the sake of giving up your life, but you're giving up your life to follow Him. You're giving up your life for Him, for His service and honor and glory. You're giving up your life to find your life in Jesus Christ and to lay it all before Him as the ultimate sacrifice, a living sacrifice, as the Apostle Paul says to the Romans. And so what Jesus calls us to is to commit ourselves, our whole existence, our lives, our souls, to Him. It's all about Him. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15, And He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and was raised again. To be a follower of Jesus, you must lose your life. Well, the paradox of the Christian life is this. If you want to save your life, you must lose your life. Jesus states in verse 35, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. This is the surprising and ironic result of self-interest and self-fulfillment. If you pursue yourself as an end in itself, if your highest purpose is to serve yourself, you will, in fact, never gain your highest purpose. You will never gain that satisfaction and fulfillment that you're looking for. I mentioned Arlie Hochschild, that sociologist, American sociologist earlier, who characterized our culture as a self-improvement culture. Well, she has recently written and shown how our culture has become so obsessed about self-improvement that the list of things to do in order to improve ourselves has become endless, requiring that more and more people are contracting out different parts of this self-improvement-focused life, like getting groceries, doing their laundry, cleaning their homes, organizing their dates with their spouses, watching their children. With the end result that their quest for self-improvement leaves them completely scattered and stressed out, and they become useless at everything. They don't know how to do their own laundry, clean their house, have a date with their wife, or look after their children. 
the very thing that we're seeking, we're losing. We're not gaining. If you seek anything but the Lord Jesus Christ as your highest goal, you will not gain it. You will not gain satisfaction and fulfillment that you're looking for. Jesus says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Because that's what happens. You set your sights on gaining the whole world for yourself. And when you get there, you realized you don't have a self left anymore. You compromised it so long ago that you have no life. And so the result of this pursuit is failure. You lose your life. It's ironic, isn't it? The very thing that you desire the most is the very thing that you lose. The secret to a fulfilling life is to not pursue that fulfillment at all. This is, of course, idolatry. If we said anything higher than God, we are making an idol out of it. And idolatry ends in misery and death. Idols promise the whole world. When you get there, you've lost your life. And so the way to find life, to, to truly find fulfillment and satisfaction and joy, is to not seek those things at all. That's the ironic, paradoxical thing about what Jesus is saying here. You don't seek those things at all, and when you do that, you gain them. We're creatures of the Most High God. He made us and formed us. And He did not make us for the purpose of fulfilling ourselves. He made us for the purpose of glorifying Him. Of setting Him first. And of giving our lives over to Him in service and worship. There is one ultimate purpose in which we find ourselves. The very thing for which God has created us in serving God. Or as the Westminster Catechism has famously put it in praising God and enjoying Him forever. Not in praising ourselves and enjoying our lives, in praising Him and enjoying Him forever. Now notice that this is not some sort of bait and switch tactic going on here. Like I'm, I, I ultimately, I want good for myself. And I can get that serving God, so I better serve God because then that'll be good for me. No, it's giving over that purpose and serving God and forgetting about yourself. You must give up your life and give it over to the service of God. And therein you will find joy and true life. In what ways? Well, you probably won't be less busy. You probably won't have more money. You probably won't experience less sadness and less hurt. In fact, the process of opening wide your heart and giving your life to the service of the Lord many times can cause more pain and more heartache and more sadness. If you open up your heart to love other people and to love God, then many times you're opening up your heart to disappointment and to pain. But even in that in that service, in that suffering, in that rejection in which you are following the steps of the Lord Jesus Christ, therein you will find deep and true and lasting joy and satisfaction. You'll find the very joy and satisfaction that Jesus Christ had in committing His life to the Father and suffering and being rejected 
and going to his death. There is nothing greater in life to commit your ways to than to forget about thinking about yourself and to serving the Lord in everything. So in serving Jesus and committing your life to God's service, you find your life within that as well. You find your greatest honor. You lose your shame. Jesus says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Verse 38. Of course, he's speaking about his present generation. In his teachings and through his miracles, he's exposed that the sinful and selfish heart of the people that had been covered over with that veneer of religiosity. But surely his was not the only generation like that. In fact, the Lord Jesus exposes the heart of every sinful and selfish generation. Because as we've seen, the self-centeredness is characteristic of fallen mankind. And since it's a universal impulse of self, of sinful mankind, there's also an incredible cultural pressure to conform. If you play along with the self-interest and self-pleasure game, then you fit in with everyone around you. There's incredible pressure upon people of all cultures to fit in. To, to not go against the grain of, of family or nation or religion. Those structures have been set up, in fact, for the preservation of a person. You find your life in your family's honor in some cultures, or in your nation's honor in some cultures, or in your religion's honor in other cultures. In our culture, we've just said, you find it in yourself. These cultures and ways of living can be so strong that to heed the words of Jesus, to deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow him, can mean that you're accepting a life of suffering and rejection as a result. And it can be incredibly difficult. It's not easy to give up your life. It can cause great shame. It can cause personal embarrassment. Many times, in in order to preserve yourself, you can put aside the words of Jesus and serving Him. If that's the case, Jesus says, then he will likewise be ashamed of us before his father's glory, before the heavenly angels. As he says, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes into his father's glory with the holy angels. You see, Jesus call radical as it is. It's not a suggestion. It's not a Christian best, best practice or something like that. It's an absolute requirement. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And there's only one way to follow him. To be ashamed of that is to cause him shame before the Father. And so this is a stark and an absolute contrast. There are two ways. There's the way of radical self-denial and discipleship of following Jesus. Or there's the way of comfortable self-realization and self-interest and rejection from Jesus. This is the calling that's before us in our text. And we ignore it or undermine it or qualify it to our peril. All of you who hear, hear the call of Jesus. Hear the challenge to discipleship and bow your neck under the yoke of Jesus Christ. It is crucially and eternally 
important. But I do want you to notice one thing, even in this call. See the grace of the Lord at work. Notice that even as he speaks these these words, these strong words, these absolute words, how terrifying it would be to have the Lord of all the earth ashamed of me. Even as he says those words, though, he helps us along. Yes, he knows our nature. He knows how how prone we are to being self-focused. And so he helps us along. Notice that he gives us an option in this verse. He says, look, you can join along with this sinful and adulterous generation. You can find your honor along with the sinful and adulterous people. That's okay. Or you can join with me in the glory of my father and in the presence of of my holy angels. Uh, you, you do the math here. Sinful or wicked generation, uh, generation, glory of the Father, and powerful angels. You can be with a bunch of spiritual adulterers, or you can be with me in the glory of the Father. It's, it's your choice. Well, there is only one way to live and to never be ashamed to live a fully realized and fulfilling life. And that is to align yourself, heart, soul, and mind with Jesus Christ. When you're united with Jesus Christ, the King of the world who's in the Father's glory, He's gone there, He's there already. What could ever cause you shame? When your life is with Him, underneath the Father's pleasure, underneath the Father's blessing, where all sin has been removed, How could you ever experience shame? You share in his righteousness, his glory and victory. And so the calling is before us. And it's one that we are called to take up, not once for all, but to take up every day. And so every day in this week, consider the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be his follower. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.